This is week three. We're in a current, uh, our current teaching series is called Come, Follow Me. And we're leaning into this invitation from Jesus to not only the first disciples that he called along the beach, but actually to each and every one of us who have chosen to follow Jesus with our lives, who have received that invitation and said, yes, we're going to disciple, we're going to be disciples of Christ. We're gonna, and, the, and the call in that is to actually apprentice ourselves to Jesus, to learn not just His words, but also His ways, to learn not just about His life, but actually to live into His lifestyle that He set as an example for us to follow. So that's been the journey that we're on. Come, follow me as disciples of Jesus Christ. And we said there's actually three main goals of a disciple, one who follows Jesus, is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus does. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus does. These are the three driving passions or driving goals of every disciple of Christ. And we, uh, as, as, as we, as we kind of unpack those and, and talk about how we support that here at the well as a church whānau together, we've said we're going to organize ourselves around pursuing presence, the presence of God. We're going to pursue formation in that we become increasingly like Jesus and we go on mission uh, for the sake of others. So presence, formation, and mission. We're organizing ourselves around those core functions. And Hannah is actually our presence lead. Uh, so that's why Hannah's joining me in, in bringing the message this morning, because pres- Hannah leads our, our kind of our efforts in the presence space around our church, which is largely dominated around building a culture of prayer and of worship, these kinds of things that help, you know, set us apart as God's people who carry His presence wherever we go. And so last week, if you missed last week's teaching, I encourage you to jump online. You can listen on the website or j- get on the podcast, have a listen last week, um, where we spent some time uh, with David, really, and David, who was focused on bringing God's presence back into the center of his people. It was the very first thing he did when he was, you know, received power and, and, and established his reign and his kingdom in, in, in the nation of Israel. That was the very first thing he did. And today we're going to look, so last week's message was a little bit more about us as a people, as a community of faith, as a church whānau together. Today we're going to get a little bit more personal and a little bit more practical about what does it mean for us as apprentices of Jesus, as disciples, what does it mean for us to be carriers of God's presence? And so in order for us to do that, uh, we, you know, like I said, we're doing something a wee bit new. We've not done this before, except at nine o'clock we had to go. Um, and it went okay, so we're going to try it again at 11. Um, so uh, Hannah's, Hannah's here. We're going we're gonna to kind of pop back and forth between the two of us um, in the, the message this morning. But why don't we begin by looking at our teaching text in First John chapter 2 and chapter 4. Do you want to read it for us, Hannah? Let's go. How good, but a bit of a co-preach. All right, 1 John chapter 2, join with me in verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. In chapter 4, verse 13. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God... God lives in them and they in God. 
And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Let's pray together. Come, Holy Spirit. Will you bless and enliven your word to us this morning? We thank you. You promise your word is always living and active. It never returns void. And so we pray that be true among us this morning. Holy Spirit, will you open our minds and hearts and and lives to be receptive to the truth of your word for us this morning? May you find us to be that good soil that you talk about, where your word, like the seed, can go deep into our lives, where it can find it to be good soil and it can take root and it can grow up to produce a kingdom harvest to your glory and for your kingdom purposes. We pray this be true in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen, amen. In this world, John says, you are to be like Jesus. In this world, you are to be like Jesus. Chad Bohe puts it this way. He says, Jesus reveals God's image to humanity and Jesus reveals God's intention for humanity. He reveals God's image to humanity and God's intention for humanity. This is speaking to the, the, the two natures of Christ. Jesus is both fully divine So if you ever wondered, what is God like? All we need to do is look at Jesus. He reveals who God is. But Jesus is also fully human. And so if you ever wondered what his intention for humanity is, all you need to do is look at Jesus. You see where we're going? Jesus reveals who God is, God's image to us, and God's intention for us. This is who Jesus is. And so, like in, in that text we read in 1 John chapter 2 and 1 John chapter 4, those, the end verses of each of those ended with the same, same idea, the same emphasis. As He is, as Christ is, so are we. In this world, you are to be, to live as Jesus. And so, essentially, we could say it this way. In Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Christ, in Jesus, we have both the prototype and the pattern for our lives. And that's good news because that means you don't have to go looking for some social media influencer to tell you how to live. That means you don't have to go, you know, like delve into some, you know, like moral philosopher and where you only understand like 20% of what you read and in order to figure out how to live, right? You, You don't have to go to all these places. You just need to go to Jesus, Jesus is the one who is the pattern and the prototype. That, that role in your life, that model, that, that one that you're apprenticing to, that's already sorted. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can just put it to bed. You don't have to worry about that. You don't need to lose any more sleep over that one because I know you all were, right? You just get to say, no, 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 this is who I'm following with my life and this is what I give my life to. He, Jesus, and in Jesus' life, when we look at him throughout the Gospels, what we see in Jesus is that he carried God's presence, didn't he? 
Like when we talked about last week about bringing God's presence back into the center of his people, Jesus embodied that powerfully. Wherever he showed up, he brought the presence of God in really significant ways. Sometimes it was dramatic and profound and healing. Other times it was this beautiful, calming presence, you know, and and either way, he brought the presence of God with him. And so as goes he, so go we. How do we live that out? And I think there's nothing, nothing that shapes that in our lives more than living a prayer-soaked life. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at Jesus' life of prayer. You take us there, Hannah? Let's dive in. So we see in Jesus a few different ways that he prays, but specifically, we're going to start by looking at the moment at his baptism, where he hears those words from God, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. How good would it be to hear those words, right? If we're just walking about our day, imagine a boom from heaven coming down saying, this, this is my child with whom I am well pleased. I think so often we miss how Luke says it in chapter three, that as he was praying, the voice came from heaven. Jesus was in conversation with the father when those words came. It wasn't just a random moment. He had pursued and made space for that voice of God in his life. So as he was praying, the heavens opened and God spoke. I think if, if we want that, if we want that kind of affirmation and, and word from God, we, we have to be in the conversation. Yes. We've got to be communing with him, seeking him, making space for him to receive those words. And crucially for Jesus, this was the moment that kick-started his ministry. He'd had 30 years on earth being formed in the way that God was forming him. But this moment, the voice from heaven that he received in conversation gave him his identity, his purpose, and his mission. And they were received from a place, from a posture of prayer, of seeking, of being in the conversation with God. So might we do the same? Beautiful, yeah. We also see that Jesus prayed a lot. He prayed often, more than once a day. And one of the one of the one of the most important things to notice, you know, throughout when you look at Jesus' prayer life throughout the the day is actually he starts very early in the morning. Mark chapter one verse thirty five says, "Very early in the morning." Yes, it's got the word "very" in there, (laughs) not just early, but very early in the morning when it was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And I think this is important for us to recognize. If we're to pattern our lives after Jesus, what we see in Jesus, I think this is part of the fully human side of Jesus, is that he started every day by orienting his entire life around attention to the Father attuning to God's will and God's voice, attuning to the presence of God. That, that's how he started his day, very early in the morning. He attends to the Father. He receives from the Father his identity and his purpose and his mission, as Hannah just said, again and again and again. Because who knows you need to be reminded of those things. Who knows it's easy to forget by the time you get to the end of the day. And so you need to start very early in the morning and orient again your whole life around just being in the presence of God if you're going to be able to carry that presence forward. You know, we see this, this is all, all the way through the scriptures again and again and again. The psalmists speak to it regularly in Psalm 17. It says, when I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Psalm 16 says, I've set the Lord always before me. Not only at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, I mean 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, right? Like, but always before me. 
you will fill me with joy in your presence, he says. Early in the morning, he prays often. And as he prays early in the morning, he prays at night. As a, as a de- devout Jew, Jesus had clear times throughout the day where he stopped and his prayers were anchored in the, the daily rhythm that we as humans go through day in and day out. But specifically in Matthew 14, so the night before Jesus walks on the water, we read that in the evening, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. And he stayed praying alone until that fourth watch of the night where he then went out and walked on the water to his disciples. And this, this regularity, Jesus prayed at night. He sought God and he withdrew. He, he, had, he prayed all night here. He had extended times of, of seeking the Lord and being with him and seeking his face that lasted all night long. So there's a, a regularity and a dailiness. He prays in the morning and at night and then he extends it. And these aren't just one-off things. I think we see the, even the prayer that we prayed earlier in worship, as Jesus taught us to pray, he says, give us this day our daily, daily bread. Suggests that Jesus actually intends for us to pray every day, doesn't it? It's not like, hey, Jesus, give us, the, give us the bread we need for the week or for the month or, you know, like for, for, the, for the year, you know, like fill up the silo, uh, let us be good. No, 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 he says... Give us this day our daily bread. There's an intention for Jesus that actually this be a daily thing. Every day we keep coming back, reorienting again and again and again. We come back before the Lord in prayer. So as well as his regular everyday morning night rhythms, we see that Jesus withdrew often, that he sought this this step away, this external time of prayer often. Sounds pretty good, right? Yeah, come on. Come on. If, if you were Jesus, you were preaching to the crowds, you're walking on dusty roads, it'd be quite nice to withdraw. Take a little step back, maybe cruise on down to the hot pools in Caesarea <laughs> to have a, have a bit of R&R. It's quite easy for us to read that into the text that Jesus was just withdrawing yeah. to have a bit of self-care. You know? Yeah. That's not what Jesus did. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Rest and relaxation, beautiful, Sabbath delight, God-ordained, lean into it, but in its rightful place. Yeah. I think a lot of the ways that we think about withdrawal is more in line with, with escapism. Mm. I know for myself, if I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed or, ah, oh, it's too busy, I'll often maybe turn to Netflix or turn to my phone and kind of numb out and lean into that escapist withdrawing. But Jesus, he patterns his life around taking refuge in the Father. He steps back from all that is surrounding him and withdraws to be with God. And from that place, he is refreshed, he is reconnected, he has fresh affirmation and ideas. It actually propels him forwards and takes him back to the people that he's stepping away from. Mm. It's not an escapism to, to empty himself. It's a step back to take refuge in the Father and get fresh affirmation, fresh ideas for the partnership that he's in. I think we also see like a real enjoyment in this withdrawing to be with God. Not only does he step out and seek God all night and pray and be with God, but he, he enjoys being with God in his presence. Like if you think about Jesus praying all night long, it's not him like with toothpicks in his eyes, trying to stay awake, yeah. reciting scripture, 
He's actually enjoying it. There's a joy in the presence of God. And equally, God enjoys being with us, which is such so profound. We read the psalmist says in Psalm 17, keep me, he's speaking to God, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. The creator of the world sees us, his children, as the apple of his eye. He is delighted in us. He enjoys being with us. I think so often when we think about taking refuge in God or coming to God in prayer, it's quite self-centered in a way. Like we come to just be filled up with the joy of God's presence. Yes, that happens. But equally, God is delighted to meet with us too. It's relational. It's intimate. There's a dance between us and God. Psalm 18, he rescued me because he delighted in me. So not only do we get to be re-energized and filled with the joy of the Lord, he is equally delighted to be with us because he loves loves us. So Jesus withdrew often and he found joy in that space. We also see Jesus praying before big decision moments. So if you read the story of, you know, when he comes to call the disciples before that, the evening before, he's, he withdraws to pray. We know that, you know, uh, even on the night that before he was betrayed, he takes his disciples into the garden of Gethsemane. And what does he do? He prays. And it was a pretty big decision moment, really, for Jesus, because he was still deciding, okay, we, am I actually going to go through with this plan, God, that you've ordained and that you've called me to? Remember? It was in his prayer. He said, Lord, if there be any other way, could we take it? You know, could we go some other way? You know, yet not my will, but yours be done, is what Jesus prays. He prays before any big decision. We see this beautiful moment play out, actually. Uh, I, I love that this about Jesus. is um, at, uh, at the tomb of Lazarus. You remember his friend Lazarus who died and then Jesus raises him back to life? And at the tomb of Lazarus, we see this text in John chapter 11. I actually got it on the screen for us to have a, have a wee read because um, Jesus replies, he says, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you'll see God's glory? This is him basically trying to convince them to open the tomb. Let's go, you know, like uh, he's got a plan. We want to bring Lazarus back to life. And they're all like, no, no, no. Uh, it's going to smell bad. I don't think we should do that. doesn't sound like a good idea. Um, but he's like, no, no, no. Don't you want to see God's glory? So they removed the stone. Verse 41. Jesus looked up and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. Here's the line. I know that you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of the crowd standing here so that they will believe that you sent me. I love this. He's like, I, I, I know that you always hear me. The confidence in that. There's just this sense of connection and confidence and, and, and reassurance in the relationship with, with the Father that he goes, I know that you always hear me. The very whispers of my heart, you already know before they are even you know, out of my mind. You already know them, Lord. I know that you always hear me. And, and then he goes on to say, make it really explicit. Like, I'm saying this not for my sake, not for your sake, but for those here around me. So he's giving an example to the disciples who are gathered around in this prayer. He's setting an example saying, here, this is what it's like. You know the very, you hear me. Thank you for hearing me. I know you always hear me. I say this for the benefit of those here so that they may know that you are indeed God. And I think the other thing that we, we know about is true about Jesus is that he right now in this very moment, as we sit here on a Sunday morning, he is at the throne of grace interceding on your behalf that's where he is and what he's doing right now 
He is at the throne of grace, interceding. He is our eternal intercessor. So Jesus continues on this. We know this. Hebrews chapter 7 says, uh, He always lives to intercede for them eternally, ongoingly. He's, he's, he, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's doing. And so I think there's something about the persistence of prayer in that to say, you, you, yeah, you, you know, we can have faith and ask once, but actually I think when we recognize Jesus is interceding eternally, that we can join in the persistence of keeping up the prayer effort, of continuing to pray, of continuing to seek, of continuing to contend, even when it doesn't look like things are shifting, that we continue to pray. But I think the deeper reality that we get to pay attention to here is a beautiful invitation. The truth that Jesus is right now at the throne of grace interceding on our behalf invites you and I as we follow Jesus, not just to always show up in prayer speaking and asking and requesting and running the list, right? But to listen. What if when we show up in prayer, we actually say, Jesus, what is it that you're praying right now oh Jesus what is it you're praying for my spouse what is it Jesus you're praying for my kids Jesus what is it you're praying for my parents or what is it you're praying for my neighbor what is it Jesus what is it you're praying for my colleague at work what is it you're praying for our church Jesus what is it you're praying over our region here in Ototahi what is it you're praying over our nation Jesus what is it you're praying and allow that to shape our prayers to then join him in those things and start praying with him uh, into all of those things that uh, Jesus is continuing to pray. Beautiful invitation and powerful model of prayer. Mm-hmm. How good. So we've seen, this is by no means an exhaustive list, I'm sure. I know Jesus prayed a lot more than what was written about him, but we can pattern from what we read in scripture. So we know Jesus reveals God's image to humanity and he also reveals God's intention for humanity for us. Jesus is our pattern and our prototype. We only need to look to Christ for how to live. And this this life of intimacy that we see that Jesus carried, this prayer life that was built into all that he was and all that he did, made him a carrier of God's presence. So we see that through how he prayed at his baptism. At the beginning of his vocation, he was in the conversation when he received the affirmation. He prayed often. He had regular times throughout the day. He was grounded in his reality as a human. He prayed every single day. He withdrew often. He stepped away, not in a space of escapism, but to take refuge in in God. He prayed before big decisions. He brought his discernment before the Lord. And we hear that he prays now consistently for us. He is our eternal intercessor. So all of that and much more, the life of prayer that we see in Jesus. He actually prayed for us as well. As we read in in John 17, his high priestly prayer. Jesus prays that we here today would experience that same relational enjoyment and that empowered partnership that he had with the Father. He prayed that over us, that we would lean into a similar prayer life that he had, that we would become carriers of the presence of God, just as Jesus did. If he came, if he was the intention and the prototype for how we are to live, then he's enabling that in us. It's not some unachievable goal, but by a work of his spirit. 
we too can become carriers of his presence as we, as we pray, as we build a life of prayer. Even this week, I had a couple, couple big days kind of went from meeting to meeting to meeting, and, and I was feeling a little scattered, a little overwhelmed, or bah, and I, had, I remember two specific points that had like five minutes between events and meetings. I was like, cool, I could spend this time continuing to work, could have sent out some more rosters, probably should have. <laughs> Or I could spend the time in that escapism mindset of, oh, cool, I'm just going to go on my phone or I'm going to numb out for a little bit. Um, Or I could choose to take refuge in Christ, in God. And I did. I chose the refuge space. I went, okay, cool, I've got five minutes. Before I head into another meeting, I'm going to loop around the block, take a prayer walk with Jesus. And it transformed the rest of my day. It was so powerful. Um, yeah, taking time, I think physically withdrawing, leaving the space where you're working, where it feels busy, where it feels chaotic, to withdraw, take, a, take five minutes, take a walk around the block, to be with Jesus. I was reminded of some Psalms that I had read in that morning. That scripture came to mind. I prayed that, and then I prayed for the thing that I was heading into. And it was so powerful. So that it was five minutes of refuge, and it transformed things. Because we know that as we, as we step into this life of prayer, as God is, as we are formed in the, in the way of Jesus, this reservoir of prayer, this depth of goodness of being with Jesus is, is welling up, is deep, deep within us, that we'll be deep wells that carry his presence. So that when we are tapped, when it gets stressful and overwhelming and busy, when, when we're feeling that squeeze, what comes out of us comes from that place of being with God. That in the overwhelm, we speak prayer, we speak praise, we speak the truth of who God is because it is built and, and taking place within us. This is what it means to be a carrier of God's presence, that we would know what it is to be with him. And as we become like him, we do what he did in, in all seasons. Because we know as the people of God, friends, it is our inheritance and it is our destiny to be a people of prayer who carry God's presence as Jesus did. He has this for us and he wants us to ask him for it and to lean into it. That's good. So if that's our inheritance and our destiny, is to be a people of prayer who carry God's presence as Jesus did. We remember in First John, as, you know, as Jesus lived, so do we. Um, but it's pretty easy to think, oh, that's not for me, though. That's not, that's not us. That's, you know, like, that, that maybe, maybe that's good for the pastors and the leaders, you know. Maybe that's good for those who are more contemplative types and introverts and love their time alone and quiet. And, you know, maybe that's, you know, I don't know about you, but my mind just constantly wanders, you know. Maybe you're, you're like, man, I just don't even have the time. It must be nice to have breaks of five or ten minutes between things, Hannah, because I just don't even have the time for that, eh? You know, like, it must be nice, uh, you know. Or maybe, maybe you're like, actually, I've tried to become a person of prayer. I've, I gave it a good hard nudge, you know. Like, I, I properly lent in. But to be honest, I just found it really hard. And if I'm really honest, a bit boring. And it just didn't seem to, it just didn't seem to take because I realized I'm not good at it. And so I just became so discouraged that I gave up and it just wasn't, decided it wasn't worth it. And I think I heard John Tyson once say that, you know, oftentimes we get inspired by what Jesus did in the Spirit, in the power of the Spirit, 
and then we try to live it out in the flesh. And I think that's the danger here is that actually we see in Jesus' life, when we, when we surveyed his life of prayer, Jesus lived a prayer-soaked life. He carried God's presence because he regularly withdrew early in the morning, late at night, regularly throughout the day. He was regularly reorienting himself around to be in God's presence. And it wasn't out of any kind of striving or forcing it, or if I just do this and tick these boxes, God, you know, it's going to give, you know, gold stars in heaven kind of thing. No, 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 it was none of that stuff. It was truly just Jesus was living into the promise of what God says. I mean, Paul puts it this way in Romans 8. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Is your prayer life feeling a bit hard, a bit boring, a bit, a bit, a bit stuck, a bit like, oh, I'm just not very good at it? You know, the Spirit's here to help. Look, what is He helping? What's the weakness that the Spirit's helping us in? Read on. He says, we do not know what we ought to pray for. In other words, my weakness is, I'm not very good at prayer. And he goes, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Spirit is here to help you pray. So practice. Get in. Practice this. You're never any good at anything when you first start. Right? Anyone learned at a musical instrument? Oh, you talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? I have daughters who learn musical instruments. When you first start on an instrument, I learned trumpet, remember? Bless my neighbors and my family. You're rubbish when you first start on an instrument. Absolute rubbish. That's full of kindness, but also truth, right? <laughs> Absolute rubbish. How do you get better at playing the trumpet? Practice. You practice, right? Same thing with prayer. How do you get better at praying? How do you enjoy it more? You practice. But not just out of that effort of striving and doing it yourself and in your own strength and, you know, no, 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 no. By each time, Spirit, will you help me in my weakness? Holy Spirit, will you empower me? Holy Spirit, will you allow me to experience what Jesus did as he prayed? We see this relational enjoyment that just flowed out of Jesus' life as he was orienting himself to be with the Father. Will you allow me to experience some of that today? Holy Spirit, will you help me, empower me to join in what you are doing in and around me today? Holy Spirit, will you empower me to partner with you and participate in what you're doing? You might already be thinking about your upcoming week in your, in your human brain. Be like, cool, I'm going to, like Jesus, pray in the morning, pray at night, maybe do an all-night prayer. Whoa. Adding all these things in, in your own strength, right? If you're mapping out your week and thinking, because friends, you can. You can get to this amount of prayer, this quantity of praying in your own strength. If we look at the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, some of the most devout prayers, they prayed publicly, they prayed often, they prayed every day, yep. they had rhythms, they led the people in prayer. But these were the people that Jesus called out the most. They're the ones that he had the biggest issue with because their heart was in the wrong place. It was at both times a performance for them and, and a legalistic way of, cool, let's just add in the prayers and off we go. So we can get there in the wrong spirit. And as we saw last week when we looked at Saul and his leadership, 
He was leading. He was he slayed his thousands. He led God's people to victory over and over again. But the presence, the Ark of the Covenant, was off to the side. His heart was in the wrong place. He was positioned more around himself and his own leadership than the than the presence and the power of God. He got to where he got by striving in a sense of a sense of self. But if we are to, to become true carriers of God's presence, if we are to, to lean into this depth of prayer, this reservoir of prayer that we see in the life of Jesus, it needs to be a work of the Spirit. We can't reach that place of carrying God's presence in our own strength or in our own striving, or we'll just become like the Pharisees, and God will have a bone to pick with us. And in our text this morning, in First John, we read that we have to rely on the love that God has for us. We cannot rely on ourselves or our own work or our own effort. It has to come from a place of receiving God's love and receiving his spirit. As we just read in Romans, the spirit helps us. He truly helps us. He moves and he, he inhabits our the every small reality of our, of our daily life. He knows all the things that are stopping us or hindering us, but he moves, and by a move of his spirit, we are drawn deeper. It's an invitation, it's a pull into this fullness of life and prayer in God that we cannot get to in our own strength. It's good. So what do we do with this? What do we, what do we actually, like, later today, tomorrow morning when you wake up, you know, during the week, what do we actually do in order to become a carrier of God's presence? And so we want to give some real practical, tangible things that you can put into practice as a way of practicing. Um, but before we do that, let me just give this, this kind of caveat. Maybe think of it as an umbrella under which all of this other stuff will come. Because here's the, here's the big idea. You've got to find your secret place to be with God. Find your secret place to be with God in prayer where you can pray what you've got, whether it's anxiety, pray that. If you're feeling content and happy, pray that. If you're feeling, if you're feeling you know, stirred up and passionate around something, pray that. You know, like you need that space where you can do that, but also a space where you can just be and receive. Um, receive his love and be reoriented to that again and again. Find your secret place. Maybe it is a physical location. You know, for Jamie and I, it's early in the morning. We have two nice chairs that sit by our window in the sunroom looking out over the garden. You know, that's, that's our, that, that, that for us, that's the secret place for us. But you've got to find it, and then you're going to have to fight for it. You've got to fight for your secret place. You know, whether it's, it doesn't have to be in the morning. Maybe it's another time of the day, but you've got to find it, and you're going to have to fight for it. Because the, oh, here's what I know to be true. And anyone of you who have followed Jesus for any amount of time, here's what you know to be true. The enemy goes after that place first. He will target it. Anything he can do to distract you from getting there. Anything he can do to discourage you in the midst of that place, he will do because he knows that's where the transformative power of Christ comes alive inside of us when we are in the secret place with the Lord. So find it and then fight for it. Uh, yeah, again, not a striving kind of thing, but in a guarding and a protecting thing. Like, I need this. My life doesn't work well without this because my whole life is oriented around apprenticing myself to Jesus. And if I don't get in that space, then it's not going to work. It's not going to go well, right? 
I'm starting to preach now. Come on, um, this is this is this is a conversation just back and forth. With, uh, all right. Uh, anyway, so fight for it, fight for it. So and then and then here's three things. Here's three things. We're going to give you three really practical things. And this isn't a, a box checking exercise at all. This is just us la- trying to give you some really kind of clear, specific, practical ways that we can all grow in prayer. And these you can think of them as like we're layering and we're growing deeper, or, or you know, like rather than building up, we're, we're actually like digging deeper layers would be the way I'd describe it. The first is where we started a year ago. Who remembers our daily prayer rhythm? Who continues to practice our daily prayer rhythm here around the well? Anyone? In the morning we pray. Hey, three people know. It's awesome. At noon we pray for the lost and in the evening we pray gratitude. Orient your life around this. This is a great place to start. It's modeled, actually, it's a variation on how the early church practiced prayer. Multiple times a day. In the morning, we pray the Lord's Prayer. The the, the prayer that our Lord Jesus taught us to pray, that we pray here every Sunday in the morning. Pray the Lord's Prayer. And not just the words, like the, the literal words. Yes, that's good. But use those themes to launch you off into praying other things, you know? Give us this day our daily bread. Maybe there's someone in your life who you know is in need of provision that day. Pray for them. Pray that God would provide for all that they need. Maybe it's material needs. Maybe it's emotional needs. Maybe it's spiritual needs. But pray provision. You, you get what I'm saying? Like pray the themes of the Lord's Prayer in the morning. At, the, at noon or just in the middle of the day. Sometimes people like Allison, our executive pastor, she sets an alarm. Is it 12, 15? 12.05 every day. I should know this because I get interrupted regularly at 12.05 from whatever it is that I'm doing. She calls the whole office, we all, all, whole office team, we all come together and we pray in the middle of the day for the lost. Um, doesn't need to take long, but we just pray for those in our lives who we know we're asking God to go after, who we know God is already going after and wanting to bring back to himself. And then in the evening, pray gratitude. And let me, it's simple, not just generic gratitude, but give thanks to the ways that you've seen God at work that day, where you've experienced His grace, where you've witnessed His love being extended to someone else. Give thanks for those things. Simple, right? In the morning, pray the Lord's Prayer. Noon, doesn't have to take long. Pray for the lost. And then in the evening, pray gratitude. And here's the cool thing, is that if you bet into this practice, you'll know there's at least two or three others around here in our faith family who are in a similar rhythm. And it's something we can all join in together. And there's something beautiful about the strength of that when we pray together like that. Come on. So if this is already a part of your life, the morning, noon, and night rhythm, perhaps the next step might be leaning into praying together, praying with other people. There is so much power in here. I feel like I'm going to, this is the hill that I'm going to die on. We've got to pray together. In Matthew 18, 20, Jesus says, we're two or three gather there he is with him. That's where the presence of God is. I think crucially, praying together is re- it's counterformation to the individualism of today. I think the fact that you're here, you're already leaning into that. You've resisted the narrative that says, oh, I can have a faith that's just me and God. I don't need to go to church. But congrats, you made it. <laughs> So the next step would be to, to pray together, to bring your prayer life into a space of communion and, and engaging the body of Christ together. Yes. You might also be thinking like, Ugh, I don't want to go to prayer with other people. I don't know how to pray. I'm not any good. Come to learn. Yeah, it's good. Praying together is the best way to learn how to pray. 
specifically on our Tuesday mornings at 7am every week. Come along, great plug. But we structure our mornings, so we start with worship, knowing that whatever our morning has looked like, whatever it's taken for us to enter that space of prayer, we begin in worship. As we set our gaze on the throne room, as we look to Jesus, as we look upwards, our inward posture is, is shaped around that. We get more of God's heart inside of us so that the prayers that come out of us sound like him yeah. and work like him. So we set our gaze upwards, our inward posture is shifted, and the prayers that we pray are for him and to him and from him. And this kind of prayer would shape every area around the life of church that we pray. In life groups, would you lean into prayer together? In serve teams on a Sunday morning, would there be a lingering in prayer, not just a, let's pray and move on and do the thing? Mm. In our prayer gatherings, in your homes, with your friends, with your family, with your neighbors, colleagues, those that you catch up with for coffee, would there be a, a leaning into and a sitting in the the awkwardness of praying with other people. There's so much, so worth it. And praying scripture, praying scripture together is so powerful. When we have no words, even if we do have words, it's good to submit ourselves to pray the words of God in scripture. That is the best place to start. So on a Tuesday, if you come, when you come, we'll start in worship. We sit in a a specific text from, from scripture, and then we sit in that individually in silence and then we pray together and I've been so shaped by hearing stuff that God has revealed to me and that kind of quiet time out of that text come out of the mouth of someone else who's praying it affirms how we hear the voice of God by hearing those who have been praying for years who know what it is to fight in prayer to hear them pray the things that God has spoken to you is so so powerful So again, praying together is that space of learning. It's coming, I feel weak, I've got nothing to pray. I'm going to turn up, I'm going to sit, and I'm going to hear how God is moving through other people and add my prayers to that. It's also a space of contending, of fighting for things, for things to shift in the world around us in prayer together, that we would contend, that we would linger, that we would tarry in prayer, that we would waste time on God. Because prayer is essentially inefficient. It's, it's surrendering all of who we are to the, to the power of God. And then from that space, acting and praying and, and creating a different reality through how we pray together. So come, let's pray together. 7 a.m. every Tuesday. We'll take it into the spaces where you're already gathering. Lean into prayer. Start in scripture. Start from a posture of looking at God and looking at his word. And pray out of that and watch your prayer life grow. Yeah, I think I'd also just add that contending and intercessory type prayer where you're really holding out for God to move and shift things. I don't know about you, but I struggle to stay consistent in that place. So having others join you in that contending prayer space is so valuable to strengthen you, encourage you, you know, keep you going in that contending space. Um, highly, highly encourage. So if you've got a daily prayer rhythm, you're regularly praying with others, whether it's at 7 a.m. or other places in your life, you know, you're regularly praying with others. In order to go a layer deeper, let me encourage you, add silence. Add silence. 
I've talked about this a number of times before, but silence has been the most transformative spiritual practice for me in the last five years. Hands down, no question. I started with two minutes. That's all I could handle. I started with two minutes. The longer I practiced, I grew that and can easily go 20 minutes a day now of silence being with the Lord. Silence is one of those beautiful spaces. Again, this is in the secret place where you're just with Jesus. It's like the psalmist writes, like a contented child on their, on their mother's chest. I am content, fully at rest, content, not asking, not wanting, not requesting, not, you know, just at rest, content to be in the loving presence of your heavenly father. That's the image. The, 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 that would be true for you, that you, would, that you would be just absorbed and consumed in that. It, it reorients, honestly, it reorients. That reorienting that we talked about with Jesus, withdrawing regularly to reorient his attention and focus and receive identity and purpose and all of that stuff. Silence does it for me better than anything. Um, add silence. I think it's one of those things where um, I, heard, I heard a phrase recently, like it's in silence where you fix your eyes on Jesus and in the fixing your eyes on Jesus, it's like you're looking at him only to find that he's looking straight back at you in love. It's a looking at him, looking at you in love. And that's my hope and prayer for each one of us as we continue to grow and mature in prayer. Now, this isn't like the final destination of a prayer-soaked life of one who carries God's presence. There's plenty more we could talk about, but we just wanted to give some real practical hands-on how do we grow in this together. Uh, so hopefully that's been helpful and, um, and, and, and whatnot as we, as we continue to be, because we know our destiny, our inheritance as beloved children of God. For those of us who are discipling, you know, apprenticing our lives to Jesus as disciples of Christ, that we are to be carriers of his presence. And that's not possible if we don't know his presence, are regularly in his presence and a prayer-soaked life is the way we get there. It's what we see Jesus, you know, if we're to pattern our lives after him. It just makes sense. Um, and here's the good news. It's not all box ticking. It's not all legalistic. It's not, you know, gold stars in heaven if you do this kind of stuff. No, it's responding, responding to the one, Jesus, who is right now praying this for you. Jesus is at the throne of grace right now. This is one of the things that he's interceding for. He is interceding that you would know, that you would know the presence and the power of God, that his love would transform your mind and your whole being. He is praying and interceding that right now. So it's just a faithful response to that which God is, Jesus is already praying and believing for you. That's why we can say in confidence, this is our destiny. This is our inheritance, Fano. Why don't we go get it? Because it's not just for someday when. It's no, it's for here and now. We can live into this now. And just as we saw Jesus show up with God's presence everywhere he went, the same can be true for you and I. And this is what I'm believing for myself, for, our, for all of us here at the well, that this would mark us like last week. The thing, if anything, if anyone would say anything about our church, the thing I long for more than anything would be I don't know what's going on over there at the well, you know, some weirdos, but God is in their midst. God is in their midst more than anything. That's what my heart longs for.